0: I'm Bailey. I'm Drew. And I'm Lacey. And And we're we're sarcastic, sarcastic, so let's get sinister.
1: Welcome back.
2: Hey, everybody. Hi,
0: guys.
2: In our last episode, we started talking about Jack the Ripper. told you guys about the canonical five, who are the five victims who are most often attributed to the one killer. And that was, in order, Marianne Nichols, who went by Polly, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, who went by Kate, so Kate Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. I also don't think it just occurred to me. I was telling you guys their ages as we went. And the first four were all in their their 40s. 40s. Mary Jane was actually only 25. Yeah, she was 25. So the other one were all older. She was 25.
1: Do you think there's any significance to the age difference?
2: I don't know. I think it's weird because that's a big jump.
1: Do you think it was?
2: I also think maybe the temptation to have that, have somebody with a room and like have that one-on-one time was maybe intense at that point.
1: Well, yeah. you said that, I know that the picture that we have of her is an illustration, but, you, but didn't you say that she looks older in that picture? I think
2: she looks older in the picture, but they also said she was very beautiful, whereas the other well, women looked kind of used and, well, I mean, if you look at their pictures, they look like they've been prostitutes yeah. for a while.
0: Maybe but because, I, I mean, like, he did mutilate her face a lot. Maybe yeah. It had something yeah. to do with the beauty that he wanted to destroy
2: so psychology right there those were our canonical five uh there were 11 murders that happened in this time period which all were actually together in the police docket as the Whitechapel murders now over the years um they've decided that these seven other murders were not from the same killer but i'm going to tell you about them a little bit not as detailed as we went with our other five but i'll tell you guys about these ones i'm trying to figure out where i left off oh so there were two murders before the five okay so those were like three through seven i think i said the very very first one was in april of 1888 so april 3rd 1888 this is emma elizabeth smith and there is a picture of her on slide 16 a drawing not nearly as many pictures and stuff for these so some of them you get what you get mm-hmm. so emma elizabeth smith around 1 a.m was robbed and sexually assaulted Um, She was beaten about the face and her ear was cut and she was sexually assaulted with a blunt object, which caused internal injuries, which is what ended up causing her death because she was not killed when she was attacked. She died the next day at London Hospital because Mm -hmm. of her internal injuries. She said that she was attacked by two or three men, Mm -hmm. including a teenager. And the press later linked this case to the Ripper. However because of the ear? Yeah, and just because at this point, once the frenzy got going by um, the second murder, by Andy Chapman's murder, everybody was like, everything going on right now is Jack the Ripper. So it all kind of got thrown in. But the police um, attributed this to East End gang violence.
0: Mm. Which makes um, sense to
2: me. Two or three men.
0: Yeah. Robbery, too?
2: Yeah, right. She was I was going to say,
1: own. the sexual assault doesn't seem to fit. Yeah,
2: like that didn't fit ear. either. The cut, yeah.
1: Which is probably part of why the press heard that and was like yeah. oh yeah which like maybe could just yeah that could have just been an accident yeah. Or... Yeah. yeah
2: so that was in april that was april 3rd 1888 then there was martha tabram you can find her on our next slide that's her mortuary picture i couldn't find even drawings of her alive and that doorway right there is where her body was found um so she was killed on august 7th 1888 in George Yard. And she actually, if you look back at the map, which was on slide four, um, they put her location on this map. The George Yard buildings are in the middle. I'm not sure why, because she's not part of the Canonical Five. Um, but that's where she was.
1: Is she like one that's heavily suspected as being? Not really, because,
2: well, well, let me just tell you her injuries. Okay. So she had 39 stab wounds to her throat Lungs, heart, liver, spleen, stomach, and abdomen. Additional knife wounds to her breast and vagina. Um, All but one of these injuries were committed using something small like a pen knife. And they were committed by a right-handed individual. I don't know what hand the ripper used, so I don't know if that was
1: helpful information or not. I was looking up infamous left-handed killers for our August holiday. Possible. Mm Mm-hmm. And Jack the Ripper was one.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Um, So
1: I don't know if they have like I don't know something to support the fact that he was left-handed. I don't know how. Probably
0: based on the slash marks.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: Because that's how they decided this one was right-handed.
0: Because like you can tell like
1: yeah, which way it was going. uh, But I was thinking like the bodies were so messy.
0: Yeah, but still, like I mean, like at least for like Mary Jane, like she still she had thrashes down her arms, like they could mm-hmm. tell, like the trajectory, and they can obviously measure the trajectory of um, who's the one that had her eyes slashed?
2: Um, not stride, Catherine Kate Edels.
0: like, see, like, because I mean, left handed and right handed, you're like angled slightly, you're not going to be like a perfect straight line.
2: So, the police ended up actually linking this to the other murders because of the savagery lack of apparent motive, closeness in location and date to the other murders. This was August 7th and um, our first canonical five was August 31st. Mm -hmm. However, her wounds were stab wounds whereas the wounds of the other victims were slash slash wounds. She didn't have any slash wounds on her throat um, at all. And most experts who have reviewed this case do not consider her killed by the same person. It was basically just the savagery of the attack that later they were like, oh. But also, 39 stab wounds is more than what our first couple victims had of the canonical five. So like the escalation is kind of wrong there. Yeah. So those were the two who were before our five. Well,
0: Maybe
1: he started off stabbing and he was looking for, like he wanted to see blood Mm -hmm. and he wasn't getting fulfilled with just stabs. And that's why he did it so much. And then he was like with the next one, he was like, let me try slashing. And that opens up a greater sized wound. Yeah. That would, you'd think, bleed more.
0: Or he was curious about, like, mm-hmm. what's inside. He did like this? Th- I mean, I
2: know he was doing a lot to all of them, but one thing they all had in common was the throat slash. Yeah. Mm. Um, so those two were before Canonical Five. And that last one there, Mary Jane Kelly, who was the last of the five, was killed on November 9th. Now there are four murders that happened after this. That, at the time, were kind of all lumped together. Mm-hmm. So, there is Catherine Mylette who went by Rose, which was her middle name.
0: Um, were the first two, I mean, uh, were the rest of these women, like, prostitutes, too?
2: I don't know. I didn't really dive into these uh-huh. ones' background. Yeah. I could have. We would end up with a Because, like, maybe that's that.
0: why they got, like, looped together. Yeah. Like, in was, the beginning. Yeah.
2: Um, so, Catherine Rose Milette was twenty-six. She was killed on December 20th. So Mary Jane Kelly was November 9th, this was December 20th. She was found strangled in Clark's yard on, off of High Street. There was no sign of struggle. Um, originally, she was actually believed to have accidentally hanged herself while drunk or killed herself deliberately. There were faint markings on one side of her neck, which suggested she'd been strangled. I don't know what they were that would have stood out from like an accidental or deliberate hanging but they had an inquest and decided that it was murder so her she was listed as being murdered but that's it there was no stabbing or anything
0: yeah that at seems... this time pretty much
2: any woman that's being murdered like was kind of
0: not nowhere close to his element. yeah
2: um alice mckenzie we go to our next slide there that is her mortuary picture and then that picture there i like this because This is where she was found and the one on the left was like in the time period. And this is what it looks like today. But Alice McKenzie was found shortly after midnight on July 17th, 1889. So now we're moving a year later. Um, Almost a year from when the murder started in Castle Alley in Whitechapel. She had two stab wounds to her neck, which severed her left carotid artery. She had minor bruises and cuts and a seven-inch-long superficial wound from her left breast to her navel. Um, Thomas Bond, who we're going to talk about when we talk about the investigation, he believed that this was a Ripper murder. Um, Other people involved in the investigation did not. And writers of the time period kind of varied between calling it a copycat or just attributing it to the Ripper. Today's experts do not believe that this was a Ripper murder. Then, this one's fun. If you go to your next slide, the Pynchon Street Torso. I don't have a picture of the torso to show you. So sorry. Um, The Pynchon Street Torso was a torso. It was the decomposing torso and arms of an unidentified woman. So bottom half we didn't have and the head we didn't have. Aged 30 to 40 years. Was discovered beneath a railway arch in Pynchon Street in Whitechapel. So this picture is like a modern day and you could see she would have been under the arch because the arches weren't like filled in when it was a railway arch so she she was found under there um the bruising on her indicated she'd been beaten badly before she was killed her abdomen was mutilated her genitals were not so that part of her was still attached i guess just the legs and the head were off arms huh arms were there arms were there yeah because there was bruising on the arms yeah, yeah, weird way to take a body apart. She <laughs> appeared to have been killed the previous day and transported to the spot, which I feel like makes it even weirder for her to be... A ripper? Yeah. Yeah, no- nothing is right there.
0: No. Well, yeah. also because, like, I mean, besides Mary Jane, like, everyone was in the street, like, mm-hmm. easily found. Like- yeah.
1: I was going to say, also, like, pretty much...
0: Like you, put together yeah and like mm-hmm. you he took like no he
1: took organs kind of
0: but he not, not limbs he yeah, took not, no like, like head and like concealing yeah concealing her
1: identities
0: yeah, yeah obviously this woman like didn't have her head and also he transported her to the place and dumped her mm-hmm. so
2: um then we have our last of these 11 which was francis cole's uh, discovered when I was looking for pictures of her that Jimmy Fallon has a child named Francis Cole Fallon. So this isn't that person. That's just you, a fun fact for everybody. Do
0: you think that's... Nope. Okay. If
2: you go to your next picture there, you've got Francis Cole's mortuary picture and a picture of modern day where she was found. Couldn't find a picture from them. She was 25 years old. Her body was found on February 13th, 1891. So this is like a couple years later. Um, she was discovered at 258 2 15 a.m by constable ernest thompson lying beneath a railway arch at swallow gardens in whitechapel her throat was deeply cut but there was no mutilation um it is believed that the constable interrupted this person's killer she was alive when he got there but she died before help arrived Mm. so those four are occasionally linked to um, the other murders but not often anymore. There are also a few other alleged victims that I'll toss out there for you guys and this really kind of comes from just about every murder at the time being linked to him by the press and the public being in a frenzy. Yeah. But even the police at this time did not consider these part of it. So the four I just gave you, the police had all lumped together as the Whitechapel murders. Um, these ones, they even kept separate. So the first one is fairy Faye, and it's unclear if this is even real or just Ripper lore, um, describes an unidentified woman who was found in a doorway on December 26th in 1887 with a stake thrust through her abdomen. However, there are no recorded murders in Whitechapel around Christmas that year, and most authors agree she never even existed. Yes. Her name is Fairy. Yeah, Fairy Fay. I think it was she the name that was... She
0: was a vampire, obviously, because of the stake.
2: Yeah. So That's yeah. why... Unrelated.
0: It's yeah. unreported, because she was a vampire.
2: Yep. Um, then there's Annie Millwood, who was a 38-year-old widow. She was admitted to the Whitechapel Workhorse Infirmary on February twenty-fifth, eighteen 1888, with numerous stab wounds to her legs and her lower torso. She told staff she had been attacked by a man that she didn't know. Um, and she was actually released from the infirmary, but then died on March 31st of natural causes. Uh, we've got Ada Wilson, who was stabbed twice in the neck on March 28th of 1888 and survived this. So they weren't even all murders. It was just like
1: knife attacks. attacks. So that was stabbed to the neck in yeah, March? Yeah, stabbed twice in the neck in March. That could have been, I mean, like an early... A very early career. Yeah where he was just still starting off slashing yeah. throat early before
2: real escalation. Um, Annie Farmer, who lived in the same house as Martha Tabram, who was the second one killed of the 11 White Chapel murders. Um, she reported... I forgot. I like this one. She reported on November 21st, 1888 that she had been attacked. She did have a superficial cut to her throat. However um two witnesses heard farmer scream when she was attacked and minutes before that a man ran out of her room with blood on his mouth and hands shouting look what she has done and a couple minutes later the witnesses heard farmer scream and they believe that her throw on her cut was self-inflicted
1: oh
2: so it seems like a weird
1: attention thing yes
2: I just like the idea of this man unknowingly getting caught up in some weird thing and being like, "Ah,
1: or maybe she was trying to frame him.
2: Yeah. Then we have the Whitehall mystery is what this situation is called. This involves the headless torso of a woman discovered on October 2nd, 1888 in the basement of a new metropolitan police headquarters that was being built. Yeah. So the arm and shoulder belonging to the body had been discovered in the Thames on September 11th. So, in September, this arm was found floating in the river. October 2nd, they found the headless torso that belonged to the arm. Um, October 17th, they found the left leg buried near where the torso was found. This and the Pension Street torso were part of a group of murders called the Thames Mysteries or the Whitehall Mystery, committed by the torso killer. <laughs> Some people think the Torso Killer and Jack the Ripper were the same, which is why these get kind of lumped in here. Mm -hmm. Only one of these four victims as part of this mystery was ever identified. The other three were just body parts that they didn't put together with a person. The one that was identified was Elizabeth Jackson, a 24-year-old from Chelsea. Various parts of her body were collected from the river over a three-week period in May and June 1888. So they had the Torso Killer going on. Some people think the Torso Killer was also Jack the Ripper, but I don't.
0: I think it's um, very different. Yeah. M.O.'s.
2: John Gill was a seven-year-old boy who went missing on December 27th and was found on December 29th, 1888, in a stable block. Um, now, this was, you know, like a month after the fifth of the Canonical Five, so everybody was all... There's a boy. Freaked out. Yeah, a seven-year-old boy. Yeah, I was also going to say a
1: child. His
2: legs were severed, his abdomen was cut open, his intestines partly drawn out, and his heart and one ear was removed from the scene. The press speculated that this was the work of the Whitechapel killer. Um, His employer, 23-year-old milkman William Barrett, was arrested twice but ended up being released due to insufficient evidence. And then uh, the last one here, Carrie Brown. She was nicknamed Shakespeare for her habit of quoting his sonnets. She was killed on April 24th, 1891. She was strangled and then mutilated with a knife. There was a tear, described as a tear, through her groin area and superficial cuts on her legs and her back, and one of her ovaries was found on the bed. They don't know if that was on purpose or not. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. At the time, this was compared to the Whitechapel murders, police quickly ruled out any connection there. So those are all the murders that may or may not have been committed by good old Jack. You ready to hear about our investigation? Born ready. Okay, so first of all, um, citizens in Whitechapel actually formed the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee. I had said, and I think in the last episode that there were more, like constables were doing more walks and stuff. They also had more citizens out on the street. Keeping an eye on things. They formed in September of 1888 after the second murder. It was a group of volunteer citizens in the East End who patrolled the streets looking for suspicious characters.
1: I love that.
2: Um, the reasons that they gave, one, was dissatisfaction with the way the police were handling this. And two, was their fear that the murders were affecting businesses in the area because people were more afraid than usual to come to the East End. They Just, offered...
0: just than usual. More, yeah. Th- more afraid. Because already
2: people didn't love going there. You no. Know. Um, they offered their own reward of 50 pounds for any information leading to the arrest of the killer. And they petitioned the government to raise a reward as well. And they even hired a private detective to look into this. Um, so here's our investigation. There, There's a lot of names. I'm really sorry. Um, because I can't keep them straight. So it's going to be more confusing than it needs to be because I'm not going to be good at this. So, sorry.
0: (laughs) Just a light warning for everyone listening.
2: (laughs) I'm really sorry that this is going to not be awesome.
0: This is going to be pretty. So, first of
2: all, most of the city of London police files were destroyed in the Blitz during World War II. So, there's stuff that I just totally, they don't even have anymore. Yeah. Um, However, we do, we do know some stuff. So, when the murders were going on, police were conducting house-to-house inquiries, and over the course of their investigation, they interviewed more than 2,000 people, and 80 people were actually detained at various points in the investigation. After the double event, which was the night that um, Stride and House were killed, the commissioner at the time offered a reward of 500 pounds Mm -hmm. for the arrest of the Ripper. Uh, The investigation started off being conducted by the Metropolitan Police Whitechapels Division Criminal Investigation Department, which I'm just going to call the CID. I probably won't. I'll probably keep calling it the Criminal Investigation Department (laughs) because the acronym throw me off when there's too many. Um, The investigation was headed by a detective detective inspector, Edmund Reed. And the whole department, the criminal investigation department, was headed by a man named Robert Anderson. However, from September 7th through October 6th, he was on leave in Switzerland. So he was not there for a couple of the murders. Um, this caused Sir Charles Warren, who was the commissioner at the time, to appoint somebody else to like coordinate things. So they got um, Chief Inspector Donald Swanson from Scotland Yard to coordinate and robert anderson even though he was on leave for a whole month of this situation published like a memoir in 1910 which talked a lot about like a lot of the information we have here comes from memoirs and stuff that some of these police involved have published because so many of the actual files were destroyed after nichols was killed they sent from central office at scotland yard detective inspectors frederick Aberleen Henry Moore and Walter Andrews they got it was almost like if three FBI agents would get sent in to help the police investigating something Um, and then the City of London police got involved after Catherine Eddow so it started off just being like Whitechapel division doing their own thing Um, Then Scotland Yard sent a couple in and after the double event the like official City of London police got involved as well so there were a couple of different departments working on this Um, Butchers, slaughterers, and surgeons were top of the list to start with. They immediately investigated any local butchers, slaughterers, and surgeons and their alibis to clear them. 76 were visited, and their employees, like a butcher who owned a butcher shop, they also investigated all of their employees for the previous six months. So very detailed there. So they
0: really... Yeah.
2: There were also cattle boats that would move between London and mainland Europe Um, And Whitechapel was close to the London docks. Boats typically docked Thursday or Friday and left on the weekend. And if you remember, most of the Canonical Five were killed on the weekend or just before the weekend. Mm -hmm. So there were some thoughts, and Queen Victoria apparently even threw her weight into this theory, that a culprit could be a butcher or like a cattle herder who worked on the boats. And when the boat was docked, he would get off, murder somebody, head back to the boat, and leave. However, they checked all the schedules and the murders did not coincide with any individual boats movements so then they looked at butchers or cattle herders who worked on multiple boats and none of them were there for the murders. Like the schedules just did not work out. By the end of October, Robert Anderson, have I said his name yet? Sometimes I just have people's names in here and I didn't like I think at this point I was feeling overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, by the end of October, Thomas Bond, who was a police surgeon, was asked for his opinion on the killer's surgical skill. And this actually kind of ended up being the earliest surviving profile that they had for Jack the Ripper. That's cool. Yeah. Um, this was based strictly on Thomas Bond's examination of the bodies. So I'm going to give you a quote from his like profile. Okay. All five murders, no doubt, were committed by the same hand. In the first four, the throats appear to have been cut from left to right. In the last case, owing to the extensive mutilation, it is impossible to say in what direction the fatal cut was made, but arterial blood was found on the wall in splashes close to where the woman's head must have been lying. All the circumstances surrounding the murders lead me to form the opinion that the women must have been lying down when murdered, and in every case the throat was first cut. So the first injury was the throat cut. The throw you said it
0: was cut left to left. right?
2: Yes. Um he couldn't tell for sure the last one because the mutilation was so intense. For those of you who are wondering why we just got quiet, we're all acting out. How we well, would just laugh. Because like I
0: know that we said that or Drew mentioned that like I found that he, he's there like left-handed. He it's left handed. It just running. for some reason I always thought like as, as a righty, if I were to slash the throat, um, which I haven't, and I won't. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. I, I would go left to right. Yeah, I yeah. wouldn't go right to left. That just, it's not. I'm, I'm trying, trying to like, picture, and it's, 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 it's a hard, hard, hard thing to, right to picture. If
1: like, you were upright, and you'd be like, watch Yeah. But, like, I mean, it's slashing a throat. I feel like it could go either way.
0: But also, like, so, also before like you mentioned that they were, like, laying, most likely laying mm-hmm. down, it was also like, okay, well, like, maybe it's, like, he came from behind and slashed. Yeah, and that's But that's, and that, really cool. that's, and that would being... be left to right, mm-hmm. but that's also me being right-handed. Yeah, I think it's interesting
2: that he said that they were laying down when it happened, because most of them were outside. Yeah, well.
0: They probably no, got they in were position were to, like. For sex. Yeah. Yeah, but some of them were just like up on the street. And I don't think you'd ask, like, go into an alley or something. You think that there was privacy back then?
2: I don't know. It, it, I mean, prostitution sure. was illegal. People were arrested for it. Yeah. I feel like they didn't.
1: Well, they didn't. I don't know. Like, they. Part, the reason why they were prostituting is because they didn't have money to buy a room for yeah. the night. So you had to make do where you could. Yeah. And I, from what I know, the. Back then, like, it was real dark. Like, yeah. there was no lights, so you could just lay down in the street, really.
2: The first one didn't even know that uh, Mary Ann Nichols was dead at first. He thought she was just drunk because he couldn't even see like the blood. Yep. Cause yeah. it was so dark. Yeah, so that was from our first. So
1: I, I imagine that they laid down to do the sex. Begin <laughs> to
0: do the sex, and he we we're gonna do the sex. In my
1: imagination, he got down on top of them and then slashed them while he was on top. Okay, so... And then got busy with his dissect Thomas
2: Bond actually disagreed that the killer had specific scientific or or anatomical knowledge. He said he didn't think they even had the knowledge of a butcher or slaughterer. He thought that the way the murders were performed, any lay person could have done it.
1: I mean, the cuts were listed as jagged. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and I think...
1: It sounds like someone who's just like curious what's going
0: on inside of yeah. the body. Yeah, and especially it open with and like stuff out and... the escalation yeah. too.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, he determined that the killer was a lonel. A what?
1: <laughs>
0: Hold on Say a minute. again?
2: He determined that the killer was a loner. Got it. Oh, uh, okay. With it Sounds quote. like she like
0: put like loner yeah, and like all together.
2: <laughs> Sometimes when I'm doing this, I'll combine two words. ...that are near each other because I get to reading quickly. I don't know what I was doing with that one. Okay. Um, With, quote, periodical attacks of homicidal and erotic mania. Um, He said that the mutilations may indicate satiriasis, satiriasis, which is uncontrollable or excessive sexual desire. And then another quote for us. The homicidal impulse may have developed from a revengeful or brooding condition of the mind or that religious mania may have been the original disease but i do not think either hypothesis is likely so do with that what you will um there is no indication of sexual activity on any of the bodies however psychologists then and now believe the killer received sexual pleasure from the attacks due to knife we tend to say that there's due to knife
0: <laughs> due to I'm just and this.
2: um sexually degrading positions particularly with mary jane kelly um, others, however, challenge this as supposition. there's so much there's so much debate about so many aspects of this because so much stuff has been lost along the way because so much was kind of like tainted with like the way the press got involved. so pretty much every point made about these murders somebody has challenged at some point or another mm-hmm. uh there's also obviously a lack of surviving forensic evidence. They have performed DNA analysis on old letters. It's all inconclusive because it's too contaminated. There have been claims using DNA analysis that point to a suspect, which I'll tell you guys about. But this has been criticized for.
1: Have we talked about the letters?
2: Oh, that's next.
1: Okay. (laughs) I was going to say you just mentioned letters. Yes. Yes
2: so let's talk I about the letters. letters first just in general hundreds of letters were received by the police the newspapers and others um some were offers of advice
1: oh that's nice yeah <laughs> hey. hey you guys seem to be doing a real shit job Let, me, let me would you like my
2: two cents i'm just picturing watching the news and being like oh i'm so sick of this let me just tell them <laughs> Guys, you're fucking
0: it have up left and right. tried
2: this? Um, so some were offers of advice. Many were hoaxes and many, many, many letters that claim to have been written by the killer himself. There are three that stand out. I'm going to tell you about them. The first is called the Dear Boss Letter. You can actually find um, the actual letters online as well if you wanted to actually read them. Very cool. So the Dear Boss Letter is where Jack the Ripper name originated. So nobody was calling this killer Jack the Ripper until... This letter was published, so the letter was dated September 25th. It was postmarked and received September 27th, 1888. So we're a couple murders in at this point. Um, It was sent to the Central News Agency, who then forwarded it to Scotland Yard on September 29th. It was considered a hoax until Edels was found three days later because the author of the letter had promised to clip the lady's ears off and Catherine Eddowes was the one whose ear was found in her clothing. Mm. And they did say that they thought that was an accident, but then we said, I don't know. How can you tell?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but then we said, oh. Also,
2: in the letter, the writer had actually threatened to send the ears to the police and never did.
1: Because he dropped it and it's fucking dark. Yeah.
2: But he signed the letter, Jack the Ripper. The news published the letter, and this is when the killer started being called Jack the Ripper. Um, before that they were calling him by other names, which we'll talk about later. Um, Many later letters followed the tone of this letter, but used other pseudonyms like Jack Sheridan, comma, the Ripper. What Uh, that one. It just sounds official. Jack Sheridan, the Ripper. And also George of the High Rip Gang. Some sources say that a letter on September 17th was actually the first one to use the name, but most experts say that that was actually a fake letter, that somebody had made up like way after the fact and was trying to mess with the timeline with because I don't know people are assholes. So that was the Dear Boss letter. Then there's the Saucy Jackie postcard. Mm-hmm. Okay, I thought I'd get more. Of
1: Sorry, there. that's fine. I
2: mean, I'm smiling. I'm enjoying. Oh, this. Thank you. Um, this was postmarked and received by the central agency on October 1st of 1888. Had similar handwriting to that of the Dear Boss letter. It mentioned the double event murders, which took place on September 30th. So some say that this was sent before the murders were publicized and it shouldn't have known about the letters, or the murders, rather, already. However, um, the news of the murders had spread very quickly through Whitechapel. It was community gossip. So if it was a local in Whitechapel who wasn't the ripper, they would have known about the murders. So some, you know back and forth there about whether that was legit. Then there is the from hell letter. This was received on October 16th, 1888 by George Lusk, who was the leader of the Whitechapel vigilance committee. The handwriting and style of this letter is different than dear boss and saucy Jackie. This letter did come with a box that contained half a human kidney preserved in wine and et al's left kidney had been removed. The writer claimed that he fried and ate the other half of the kidney that he sent. Um, Thomas Openshaw, a doctor from the London Hospital, examined the kidney, determined it was a human kidney from the left side, but that was all he could determine. Um, he later received letters that were signed by Jack the Ripper. So those were the three like most famous letters. Um, Scotland Yard published copies of the letters, hoping somebody would, the Dear Boss and Saucy Jacket letters, because their handwriting was similar, hoping somebody would recognize the handwriting. Um, Charles Warren said, in quotes, in a letter to somebody, I think the whole thing a hoax, but of course we are bound to try and ascertain the writer in any case. Did my font size change here? Yes, I thought something was wrong with my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> okay
0: Lacey's losing it something's wrong with her eyes
2: (laughs) I was like I've been staring at this for too long so October 3rd is when Scotland Yard published the letters hoping somebody would recognize the handwriting on October 7th journalist George R. Sims implied in an article in like the newspaper he wrote for that the letters were written by a journalist just to up newspaper sales and he implied this rather scathingly um In 1913, so, like, hopping ahead, a writer from the chief inspector to somebody um, identified journalist Tom Bullen as the writer of Dear Boss and Saucy Jack. Just kind of said, like, I suspect that this is the person who did it. But in in 1931... Journalist Fred Best confessed that he and a colleague had written the letters signed by Jack to heighten interest and sell papers. I didn't know this, that somebody, like an actual journalist, confessed that, oh, we came up with the Jack the Ripper name, we wrote the letters.
1: I felt very, I was a little disappointed. I feel like you have just been on a rollercoaster of betrayal
0: recently. (laughs) Where you're just feeling
1: really betrayed by people.
0: Especially the press. Like I know that there was well, Black Dahlia
2: really.
1: Yeah, I was gonna to say. Here's was... a spoiler alert for our listeners: We recorded the Black Dahlia episode yesterday, <gasps> so don't tell
0: them. <laughs> the illusion is shattered. <laughs>
1: Sorry. Um, and it, I. But you're listening to this obviously like a week after the Black Dahlia episode, so you might not remember. But we sure do how betrayed Lacey felt when she found out the journalists called uh, Elizabeth's mother and just bullshitted her left and right
2: so I knew that Jack the Ripper was a name that had come from letters that had been written to the police and there was some debate about whether they were not whether or not they're real but there really is no debate because somebody has come forward and said hey we wrote those but we as a group of people who like grew some stuff are just like no we're gonna keep <laughs> we're just gonna keep believing what we mm, believe so wrong. this ruined a little bit of the illusion Badger. for me um, so talk about the role of the media with this whole case going on, which I put a note here that I wanted to do this before the
1: letters, so I did not follow my own instructions. I can edit it if you'd rather. No, nah, okay. that's all right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so fine. in the 1850s, so, you know, a couple of decades before the murders, there were tax reforms that helped inexpensive newspapers to circulate more widely. So newspapers started being read by more people. Um... This caused mass circulation of cheaper newspapers like the Illustrated Police News. That's exactly what it sounds like the Illustrated Police News. It was a newspaper and they would doodle, do- draw pictures of, like, here's the constable finding the body, Ooh. and like actual little sketches. Yeah. So newspapers were being circulated more widely. Um, by 1888, more working class people in England were literate than in previous decades because the Elementary Education Act had been passed. Several years before, which made school attendance mandatory. So um, newspapers, affordable newspapers were circulating more widely and more people were illiterate. That's not right. More people were literate, <laughs> so more people were able to take in the written news about what was going on. Um, during the Whitechapel murders, over one million copies of newspapers with the murder coverage were being sold each day. I know, like today, that's not that huge, but back then, I feel like that was huge. She, she was keeps in-
1: looking at us, hoping we'd give her a reaction.
2: I feel really like nobody cares. <laughs> 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 and it was all print. It's not like oh, one million hits on this article online. Like one million physical copies of these newspapers <sighs> were being wow. sold. You know
1: what? Oh, if, if, if that was the stats today, I'd be very impressed that people were buying newspapers.
2: Oh, ah, okay. Well, shut up. Oh, um, many of the she articles. Many other articles were just written to sell copies and contained false information, not just, like, the made-up letters, Mm -hmm. but, like, just false information in the articles. Um, Many even hinted at rumors that the killer was Jewish or an immigrant, because if you remember, there's a lot of anti-Semitism and Mm -hmm. a lot of racism going on all the time, all the Irish immigrants. So the newspapers were like, oh, yeah, let's get them mad at the Jews. It was a whole thing. Scapegoat. Scapegoat. The journalists were frustrated that the uh, CID wouldn't make their investigative details public, so they just made stuff up. (sighs) So annoyed. (laughs) Six days after Marianne Nichols, who was our first canonical murder, the Manchester Guardian reported that the police were keeping information secret, but were focusing their attention on someone called Leather Apron. Now, they made that up. But that's going to be important later. At this time, they the killer started being called Leather Apron. That was what he was called until the Jack the Ripper letter.
0: Which, can I say, yeah. Leather Apron is so more bad It's cool. It's horrifying. Don't
2: you immediately picture, like, a scary movie?
1: Sounds like Leatherface. Yes. Yes.
2: yes. So that little lie that they published is going to be important later when we talk about our suspects. Um, there were journalists who would call out other journalists for this behavior, which we saw... When um, George R. Sims, journalist, wrote that he felt the letters were made up by journalists to boost sales, and he was right. Anyway, um, so so oh so the killer was being called Leather Apron until the Dear Boss letter was published. Um, and side note, I learned that there was already like a legend. Killer, like an urban legend about a killer named Spring Heeled Jack at the time, which I just got, decided I'll cover in another urban legends episode. Okay. Um, so they were already kind of primed for Jack being a murderer, um, and this was around when calling a particular killer by a nickname became standard in the media. Okay, yeah.
0: Well, they made it more catchy.
2: Yeah. So the media's influence, the lies that they published, the things that they stretched, and whatever, plus the fact that nobody was ever convicted for this crime have made it difficult for people today to kind of analyze what went on because there's so much misinformation they have to wade through. So why do we think that some of these people were killed by the same killer and others weren't? Um, At the time period, documents link some of the murders together and then exclude others. So Thomas Bond, who was the police surgeon who gave us our earliest surviving profile, he wrote a letter On November 10th to Robert Anderson, who was the head of the criminal investigative division or department. And he linked those five victims together. Um, There's a man named Sir Melville McNaughton. What
0: a name. I'm going to
2: call him Sir Melville. He was assistant chief constable of the police. And he became head of the criminal investigation department a year after the murders occurred. Um, but he liked to kind of involve himself in discussion of it and act like he was part of the investigation. So in 1894, he actually released a memo about it, which I'll tell you why later. And his memo said the Whitechapel murder had five victims and five victims only. That was a quote. Um, his memo also contains several factual errors about suspects they had at the time. And I think it's just fun that he joined a year afterwards and he was like, I investigated the Whitechapel He's murders." He's like, I got this. Yeah, he, wrote, he like wrote a book and everything.
0: Of course he did.
2: Yeah. Um, some researchers feel that some of the canonical five were a single killer, but not all five. Um, authors Stuart P. Evans and Donald Rumbelow believe the con- canonical five is just another ripper myth. And he says that... Um, Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, and Catherine Edels can be definitively linked, but Elizabeth Stride and Mary Jane Kelly cannot. Um, Dr. Percy Clark, who is assistant to George Baxter Phillips, um, who conducted autopsies on four of the women, um, linked three of the murders as well and thought the others were just copycats. Suspects. Um, so, first of all, the fact that the killings were pretty much weekends made people think that the ripper was this is part of the like disagreement about stuff mm-hmm. the killings were mostly on the weekends so the you have your group of people who say he had to have been local and had to have been employed full-time and was killing on the weekends but then there's a group of people who say no this was from an upper-class family who was a doctor or an aristocrat came to Whitechapel from a nicer area came over here to kill now at this time period, there is a mistrust of science and people in the medical profession, mm-hmm. um, and the poor were often exploited by the rich and did not trust the rich because of all the exploitation. Mm-hmm. So they think that also bumped up why people might have thought it was like a.
0: Well, also they person. thought the like sightings of him. They thought he was. Yeah, some of the descriptions of, of him. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, most of the suspects were came came to be considered suspects years after the murders and were never considered suspects by the police. Mm-hmm. Um, it, pretty much anybody who shows up in documents, people now are like, ah, a suspect. What? And um, there are suspects that we have just made up over time because they sound fun. Oh, Yeah, okay. th- there have been like over 100 suspects listed. So this is how I tackled the suspects because I realized that this was going to get absolutely insane. So I'm going to talk to you guys about a bunch of suspects that the police did consider at the time. For various reasons. I'm going to tell you guys about suspects that were suspects because of the media and public opinion. Mm-hmm. And I'm only going to talk about one suspect who was proposed way later. That, like, modern day, you hear about this suspect, and I think it's because it's sensational, but it's a little bit ridiculous. There are so many more. Um, I mean, we could do five parts just on
1: suspects. It's so... Obnoxious. Go
0: for it if you want to. No. I feel like it's
1: that situation where everybody's just like, it could be my dad. Yeah. He was in London at the
0: time. That's well, I'd also like to say, for this time period, like, it amazes me that they, like, did autopsies. And, like, how did they catch any murders? There was more of
2: an investigation than I thought. <laughs> and there,
0: also, for a little while, when I first investigated,
2: I was like, these murders were so crazy. How was this person able to just, like, walk away from these crime scenes but, and I mean you can look at the map but it doesn't, Whitechapel isn't a huge area but everything was all connected by like these long dark alleys. It was yeah. very easy to slip from one place mm-hmm. to another. There wasn't a lot of lighting.
1: One theory that I heard uh, was that who was it? The girl that was interrupted. Stride? Stride. That the one who discovered her body was actually Jack the Ripper. Yeah. And he said he discovered her body but it was just because he couldn't make a clean getaway.
2: Oh, so he was like—he was just
1: like, "I just found." Because yeah. wasn't there an officer who walked by and she wasn't there, and then he walked by. Yeah,
2: yeah it was only like fifteen minutes. Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: and so he was interrupted by the cop, and he was like, "I just found her."
2: Yeah, and oh, it was look at his body. body. Yeah, <laughs> isn't this crazy? You see yeah. It too? Yeah, look at that. Yeah, I mean it's it's it got out of control, but I'll tell you about some of them. So, first of all, Montague John Druitt, which I was excited about because Romeo's last name was Montague, and I just finished Romeo and Juliet with my freshman. So I saw Montague and I was like, ha, hey, that's the one. Okay, so Montague John Druitt, born in Dorset in 1857. Um, he worked as a barrister, so like a lawyer. He practiced a certain type of law, and an assistant schoolmaster in Blackheath, London. He was dismissed from his schoolmaster job, and modern researchers believe he may have been gay, and that was why he was dismissed. His mother and his grandmother had mental health problems, and he may also have had, like, a he gay or had a hereditary mental illness. The reason that he came on the list as a suspect is because he committed suicide in December 1888. His uh, body was found floating in the Thames on December 31st. They decided it was suicide, and because his suicide was shortly after the last canonical murder... He was later named a suspect by Assistant Chief Constable Sir Melville, who showed up a year after the murders. He shows up in the memo that he wrote in 1894. Um, however, in the memo, he incorrectly called the 31-year-old lawyer a 41-year-old doctor. So what does he know?
1: Interchangeable.
2: Yeah. Um, and Montague, Mr. Drewitt, because I think Montague is a silly first name. Sorry to anybody named Montague. Um, Mr. Druitt had an alibi for the first mor- murder. He was playing cricket in Dorset. He also lived in Kent, which was on the other side of the Thames from Whitechapel, miles away from Whitechapel. And current experts believe that the killer was probably local. Um, D.I. Aberlin from Scotland Yard dismissed Druitt as a serious suspect. Then we have this person's name. He was born in Poland. Okay 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 God. well his last name's not too bad klozowski i believe but his first name is sewer severin i'm gonna say severin klozowski no i'm not i'm gonna say severin klozowski his alias was george chapman and that's what i'm gonna call him <laughs> not related to andy chapman who was killed Um, He was born in December of 1865 in Poland. He immigrated sometime in 1887 or 88, which is 88 was when our murders took place. He started going by George Chapman in 93 or 94. At the time of the murders, he lived in Whitechapel, and he became known as the Borough Poisoner because he poisoned three of his wives. He was hanged for this in 1903. Um, And D.I. Aberlin from Scotland Yard... Mentioned him a couple times in different letters and stuff. And people who analyze Aberlin's writings think that he was Aberlin's favorite suspect. But others think it's unlikely that the MO would have changed so much. Poisoning to
0: yeah, flashing poisoning.
2: Poisoning. Yeah.
0: poisoning is very impartial yeah. or like impersonal.
2: That was George Chapman. Then we have Aaron Kuzminski. Aaron Kuzminski was born September 1865. He was a Jewish-Polish native. And if you remember, we didn't like immigrants or Jewish people at the time, so that immediately weighed against him. He was also named in Sir Melville's 1894 memo as a a suspect. He was also mentioned. So um, Robert Anderson wrote a memoir at some point in his life, and Chief Inspector Swanson had a copy of his memoir, and he kind of did like handwritten notes in it as he as he read through it, and he mentioned Kozminski in the notes that he wrote in like the margins of the book as he read. Um, in Anderson's memoir, he wrote in quotes, "The only person who ever had a good view of the murderer unhesitatingly identified the suspect the instant he was confronted with him," um, and then he claimed that his people in quotes, meaning Jack the Ripper's people knew he was guilty and refused to give him up. And he, when he said his people was referring to Polish Jews because that is who he believed Jack the Ripper was, a Polish Jew, and that the other Polish Jewish people in the area knew who he was but wouldn't give him up because we stick together.
0: They're like throwing two religion and a race like under the bus. Yep, they're just throwing things over. Okay, you know, why Um, why just throw one of them under the bus? Might as well just make it too.
2: They claimed that he fit the profile, partly because he lived in Whitechapel and partly because he was a, quote, sexual maniac. Uh, I'm not sure where they get this from because he was admitted to a lunatic asylum in 1891. And while in the asylum, they said he had harmless behavior. He had auditory hallucinations, a paranoid fear of being fed by others, and a refusal to wash or bathe, but nothing sexual. Um, They also said self-abuse but never, like, elaborated on that. Modern-day FBI profiler John Douglas stated that somebody like Kozminski would have been driven to boast about the murders while locked up because of his mental illness. It just would have been, he would have boasted, but this guy didn't. Um, now, I said that DNA evidence has linked one suspect, and this was Aaron Kozminski. In 2014, they did a DNA analysis to a shawl belonging to Kate Edel's. Um, And it linked Kosminski to the shawl. However, experts say it's unreliable. Um, They said that the sample was from maternal descendants of Als and of Kosminski, And it was based on mitochondrial DNA, which can be shared by thousands of people. So you can use it to exclude a suspect, but not implicate a suspect. Um, And then there are people who say the shawl may not even have belonged to her because it was a nice shawl. And she probably wouldn't have been able to afford it.
0: Oh,
2: that's
0: for <laughs> maybe, maybe it was a hand-me-down or like it was a family heirloom or maybe she stole it sure
2: um i think that's a little bit of a rude assumption in some modern documentaries he is treated as um the most likely suspect i'm gonna pause for a quick second because brandon called me i'm just gonna tell him that we're recording Okay, then we have Michael Ostrog. This is a fun one. He was a professional con man. He was born around 1833 in Russia. He used numerous aliases. Um, He claimed to have once been a surgeon in the Russian Navy. He showed up as a suspect in Sir Melville's notes. Uh, Modern researchers, however, have found no evidence of any crimes other than fraud and theft and Prison records show he was in jail in France during the murders. So, you know.
0: That's kind of far away.
2: Yeah, maybe, uh, if you care enough. Yeah. Um, Now, you may remember that um, an article was published by, I think it was, hold on, before I, let me just double check. Yes, the Manchester Guardian saying that the police were keeping information secret, but were focusing their attention on somebody called Leather Apron, which they made up because they were frustrated that the police weren't sharing information with them. Now, there was a man living in Whitechapel uh, named John Pizer. He was born in 1850. He was a Polish-Jewish person. He worked as a bootmaker using leather as a medium, and he was called Leather Apron by local residents. So you can imagine the way he was treated when this article was published saying the police were after somebody named Leather Apron. Like, Fuck. Um, he also had a prior conviction for a stabbing offense. Uh, he was immediately arrested for this. There also, they said Police Sergeant William Thick believed that John Pizer had committed some minor assaults on prostitutes. That they hadn't been able to find who was doing it. He had solid alibis. He was staying with relatives during one murder. During another murder, he was on the London docks, watching a
1: fire, talking with a cop. Um,
0: they were in it together?
1: Yeah. Yeah, sure. Didn't he um, find a body in the bottom of a police station? Basement? Yeah, yeah. bottom of a police station is basically a basement. Yeah. Um,
2: <laughs> mm. Now, Police Sergeant William Thick. And John Pizer had actually known each other for years, and there was a lot of animosity there. So Pizer said that Thicke just didn't like him, and that's why he was after him so hard. He was eventually, like, released because there was no actual evidence of this, but he still had to go through being arrested and everything. And he actually received monetary compensation from the newspaper, um that well no 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 not from the newspaper that said leather apron a newspaper printed an article naming him as the murderer after he was arrested and he actually received monetary compensation from them oh that's which is cool i didn't nice. think that that ever happened then um and somebody actually wrote a letter in 1889 to central office accusing thick police sergeant william thick of being the ripper Um, This was dismissed as being malicious and was seen as just like retribution for arresting John Pizer. So that was all very fun. James Thomas Sadler, born around 1837. He was a friend of Francis Coles, who was the last of like the 11 Whitechapel murders that the police had linked together at the time. She was the last victim in total, but she wasn't one of the canonical five. He had an uncontrollable temper and an alcohol problem and apparently kept, quote, company of the lowest prostitutes. He had been seen drinking with Coles earlier and arguing with her three hours before her body was found. However, he was at sea during four of the murders, four of the canonical murders. He was arrested, but then released on lack of evidence. Francis Tumblety. Mm -hmm. Yes. Born around 1833. I, is this the one... Yes. No. No. Never mind. <laughs> we'll come back to. Okay. We'll come back to that later. Um, Francis Tumblety posed as an Indian herb doctor, like in quotes, throughout the U.S. and Canada. So he was just a quack who was making money, basically. Commonly perceived Whoa. as a misogynist and a quack. a quack, he was actually connected to a patient's death, but not prosecuted for it. In 1865, he was arrested for complicity in Abraham Lincoln's assassination, but was released without being charged, and then left the country. And he was in England in 1888. He was arrested on November 7th for engaging in homosexual acts. Um, Friends reported that that's not, like, related to the murders. He was arrested, like, in London, on November 7th so he was there. Um friends reported he showed them his own personal collection of wombs from various women.
1: Um wombs wombs like the wombland. Selecting uterine ut- uteri? Yes, uteri? he had a collection.
0: Hmm. Um yes, so term.
2: he was arrested on November 7th in London. He fled to France and then to the US. Uh, And because of all that, now, Jack the Ripper, the Whitechapel murders had gained international attention, which wasn't something that happened often, but like it was mainly because of how the press was handling it. The whole world was kind of watching this. Mm -hmm. So this guy who was arrested in London on November 7th and then fled the country got a lot of attention. Um, New York City police actually released a statement saying there's no proof of this man's involvement in the Whitechapel murders. And there were reports that, like, Scotland Yard was trying to extradite him, and they said the crime he was arrested for is not extraditable. So, Scotland Yard wasn't even really caring enough to look for him in another country for what he was arrested for. So, those were, um, like, suspects at the time of by the police. Now, these are suspects that came up due to the press and public opinion. Some of the there were some suggestions. These are like some of these were written in by people. Remember, they got letters giving them advice. Some of them were absolutely absurd. My favorite is a man named Richard Mansfield, who starred in a theatrical version of Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde, and apparently his portrayal was so good that all these people wrote him to the police and were like, "I think it was this guy."
1: Oh my god!
0: <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, I nailed it! Yeah. I nailed the performance!" Oh, love that. <laughs> Um, I mean, I'm
1: pretty sure that Zach Efron is what? BTK? Is that who he played? Sure.
0: No, he played Jeffrey Dahmer.
1: I thought that was the guy. Efron didn't play like Jeffrey Dahmer, did he? Oh,
0: that's no, that was another guy. Uh, yeah. Sorry, no. He played Ted Bundy. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm
1: pretty sure Ted Bundy is, you know? huh? You should look it.
0: Evan Peters was. Evan, Evan Peters. Peters. Jeffrey Dahmer. Yes. I I just. No love... one's done BTK
1: yet. And no one should, because that guy oh. would love the attention. Yeah, yeah he yeah. So,
2: um, William Henry Burry, born May 1859, on February 10th, 1889, so after our Ripper murders, he went to the police and said that his wife, Ellen Elliott, who was a former prostitute, had killed herself. <laughs> I put in my notes- Why is that funny? Because I just looked at my next line. Yeah, okay, why is that funny? In my notes, I wrote, surprise, he killed her. couple oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
0: number one. Yeah.
2: On February 4th, he had strangled her- um, there were light cuts to her abdomen and then he packed her body into a trunk. So he killed her on February 4th, February 10th, went to the police and said, my wife killed herself. And when they went to his house and found her body, he almost immediately was like, you're right. It was me.
1: That was my bad.
2: Uh, so he was found guilty and he was hanged on April 24th. Police investigated him for the Whitechapel murders, but he denied it and he had willingly confessed to his wife's murder. Um, so they thought he would probably confess to these as well if he had done it. Mm-hmm. Now, the executioner, James Barry, was the one who promoted the idea around town that William Henry Burry was the Ripper. Apparently, Ellen Elliot, his wife, had indicated to some friends that she knew the Ripper's whereabouts. Um, that would be a good reason to kill your wife. Yeah. The canonical murders occurred shortly before he moved away from Whitechapel. So he lived in Whitechapel during the murders, he moved away, and they stopped. Um, and he apparently told police when he was arrested that he was afraid of being accused of being Jack the Ripper. However, his wife's death doesn't really match, doesn't at all match the other ones. Especially because she was killed in February after those murders and you would think the escal- escalation would be even worse, especially on his own wife.
0: Yeah, if that was his, like, sole target and he was, yeah. like, using the uh, women as, like, surrogates.
2: That's the words. Ooh, Surrogate. now this next one I, l- I like a lot and I'm I decided I'm going to do an episode on him. Dr. Thomas Neal Cream.
1: No. Him? Hold up. Did you check? I signed up for Thomas. Did you really? Really? Yeah. No way. I found out about him and I was like, I want to do him. Oh. He's a doctor. I'm well, interested. Well,
2: you're going to enjoy it because I just have a couple oh. bullets about him. Okay. But, uh, so we, just about him, like, as the suspect for the thing, but yeah. you can still do him. I'm All excited right. now for that episode. Okay. Whenever we get it. This is, ooh,
1: I'm a little nervous. I was going to say we could collaborate. Yeah. Ooh
2: collaboration <laughs> the lambeth poisoner
1: we could have a shared document add stuff and then
2: yeah he... is that, is is that, that thunder? thunder i, just, <laughs> I was That's just gonna thunder! say look it's raining and the sun's out is what i was about to say and then the sky crackled oh what a great <laughs> podcast atmosphere
1: that was terrifying I there's a rainbow okay settle down
2: the sun's out okay so so anyway let's Okay. So, Dr. Thomas Neal Cream was born in 1850. He secretly specialized in abortions. He was born in Glasgow, educated in London and Canada. He practiced medicine in Canada and Chicago. In 1881, he was found guilty of poisoning his mistress's husband and was sent to Illinois State Penitentiary. He was released for good behavior on July 31st, 1891 and then moved to London. Now, Sorry. You may be wondering why... Well, first, his last words were, I am Jack the... That was it. And some people interpreted that as I am Jack the Ripper. You may be wondering, how could he possibly have been Jack the Ripper if he was in jail from 1881 to 1891? Great question. Here's a theory. I
0: want to know. The (laughs) theory
2: is that he could have bribed officials and left prison before his official release date and his term was served by a lookalike. What do we think? <laughs> um, um. It is unlikely that his prison term was served by a lookalike. It contradicts evidence given by family, friends, and Illinois authorities.
1: Well, authorities aren't going to be like, yeah, he paid us and we let they're him out. They're not going to admit it. Yeah. I wouldn't. I'd be like, no, that didn't happen, bitch.
0: Yeah. So. T- <laughs> that never happens. We never get bribed. Yeah. No, what are
1: you talking about? How dare you? When people are in prison, they're in prison.
0: Forever. For sure, this
2: is for sure the people who are supposed to be
1: here. Yeah, yeah.
0: We never lose anybody.
1: and you can definitely trust us. So
0: Thomas, we've never done any wrong. So yeah, Thomas, Thomas Hayne, Hayne Cutbush. Oh, are you still going? I'm no. Trying to. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thomas Hayne Cutbush, born in 1865, he was a medical st- student. In 1891, he was sent to the infirmary, suffering delusions caused by syphilis. Hmm. Um, he had, he stabbed a woman in the butt and attempted to stab a second woman in the butt. He stabbed a woman in the tush? In the tush? In the tuchus? Look at the rain. Jesus Christ. He stabbed a woman in the butt and attempted to stab a second woman in the butt. He was pronounced insane and committed to Broadmoor Hospital in 1891, where he remained until he died in 1903. The Sun newspaper is who suggested that he was the Ripper, um, in some articles in 1894. And the police did not take this seriously. Remember Sir Melville's memo in 1894 that had a lot of factual misinformation? He actually wrote the memo in response to these articles. He was like, no, he's not the Ripper. Here's our actual suspect. And then just had all this misinformation in his own (laughs) memo that he wrote. But whatever, um... Then in 1993, 19, so like all the way up, um, a book published by a man named A.P. Wolfe suggested that Sir Melville was pra- protecting a fellow officer who was Thomas Hayne Cutbush's uncle. There are some modern day authors who believe that um, he is actually the most likely suspect, I guess. Peter Hodgson and David Bullock have written books about Jack the Ripper and believe that it was Thomas Hayne Cutbush. Uh, We've got Frederick Bailey Deeming. Bailey. Mm. Mm. He was born in July 1853. Oh, this was a fun one. In 1891, he murdered his wife and four children. Um, Nobody knew. He didn't get caught. Shortly afterwards, he married his second wife, who didn't know he did that, moved to Australia with her, murdered her and buried her under their house. Uh, when she was discovered and the investigation started, they discovered the bodies back in England. He actually boasted that he was Jack the Ripper but during the time of the murders he was either in South Africa or jail. So the police said, no
0: you weren't. I enjoy when people like be like, I didn't and then it's like, <laughs> there's proof have. of like, no you yeah. didn't. Like the Black Dahlia guy. Yeah, the guy who was, was clearly, like clearly in Jersey at yeah. the time. Yeah, But then he like
1: confessed to anyone who came into contact with him yeah
2: so frederick bailey deeming was hanged in 1892 for murdering everybody except oh. for the Jack the ripper victims um carl fagenbaum hmm. his alias was anton zahn uh, that's the first time i said that out loud i like that anton zahn i lost my place oh he was a german merchant seaman Um, in 1894, he killed a woman named Juliana Hoffman in New York City by cutting her throat. He was arrested for that. He was executed. His lawyer, after he was executed, his lawyer said that Carl hated women, and he believed that Carl was the Ripper, which, like, talk about your lawyer turning on you. What year was this? 1894.
1: Talk about your lawyer turning on you.
2: Um, however, there's no evidence at all that he was even in Whitechapel at the time of the murders.
0: I think they're just, like, assuming, like, if you slit someone's throat, are you sure you're not a If you're a yeah. man
1: and you've a, No, because the one guy stabbed somebody in the butt. Oh. If you're a man and... I was going to say or you have used, a, have used a knife, that's not even the case, because one of the victims was strangled. Right, yeah. Yeah. So if you're
0: just but a just man and anybody, may... Yeah. If you, if you were a mean guy...
1: Break. If you were a dude, you might have done it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> rough, rough time to be a man in,
1: in England. I mean, honestly, why is it not a rough time to be a man? I'm
0: nervous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <am> nervous.
1: <sighs> it's sinister and sarcastic. <laughs> then
0: We need to sprinkle in the sarcasm when we get dark, okay?
2: Then we have Robert Donston Stevenson, who sometimes went by Rosalind Donston. But when he went by this alias, Donston is just... Donston, And when he used the alias, he put an apostrophe in there to make it spicy. (laughs) Yeah. Born in um, April 1841, he was a journalist and writer who was interested in the occult. He admitted himself to the London Hospital just before the murders started, the canonical five, and left shortly after they stopped. So he was in the hospital during the course of the murders. Um, he wrote an article saying that Jack the Ripper was a Frenchman and that black magic was the motive. Ooh. Sounds
0: Have just... we considered witches? Have we considered demons? Oh.
2: What about Elias?
0: Oh,
2: always, always an option. Um, an amateur detective got suspicious based on his articles and reported him to Scotland Yard on Christmas Eve in 1888. But the police did not treat him as a serious suspect because he was in the hospital and they did go and like check just to check. Just to double
1: check that he was.
2: Yeah. Well, they, they went and practice- jiggled the handle. We're like, okay, it's locked. Right. You hospital check- practices would not have allowed him to just leave the hospital for the night and then come back.
1: So he okay. was like in the whole time. Same with uh, like prison, I presume. So- yeah. They
2: don't just say, oh, you need a night out? Yeah. You tomorrow. Come back before bedtime. So that was the end of the suspects that like the media or other just people proposed no, I'm going to talk about just one suspect who's become very popular, but just like in modern times. And I think it's just because scandal is something that we enjoy. And that's Prince Albert Victor, the Duke of Clarence and Avondale. 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 Sounds better. Um, this is a fun one. People like to lean towards this one, and I understand why. He's but a it's prince. so goofy. Right. He uh, um, lived from 1864 to 1892. He was first mentioned as a potential suspect in a biography published in 1962. And the biography was actually of his father, King Edward XII. Felipe Julian published this biography and just made a passing reference to this rumor. And it said it may have been a rumor that he heard from a man named Dr. Thomas Stoll. Just kind of like a whisper down the alley kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Stoll told this rumor to Colin Wilson, who told it to Harold Nicholson and Harold Nicholson was a man who gathered anecdotes for the book that Felipe Julian was writing. Um, so it, it wasn't even, like, widely looked at when that book was published, but in 1970, um, Dr. Thomas Stoll published an article making the claim again, but this time was more detailed. He said Prince Albert committed these murders after being driven mad by syphilis.
1: Syphilis will get you.
2: Yeah. Um, this was widely dismissed because Prince Albert, when people, like, looked back at the time period, actually, like, had alibis, was not there, uh, also didn't have syphilis. So that's a thing. are sure? I don't know. Are we ever sure? Um, Stoll later denied making the claim, which is confusing to me because he wrote it, but he died before it could be investigated.
1: It'd be like him saying, that's not what I meant, guys. Yeah trying to put words in my mouth okay so now there are conspiracy
2: theorists who still believe this and this is the theory that they go with um and i put stephen knight down here who's like a modern person who modern is person. fully yeah fully involved in this theory the theory is prince albert secretly married a catholic shop assistant and had a baby girl with her mm. so queen victoria prime minister lord salisbury his friend, and police conspired to murder anyone who learned
1: about the baby. Seems
0: like a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Why not just
1: murder the baby? (sighs) Uh. That's what they did in, like, Game of Thrones time.
0: The
2: originator of this theory later retracted it and said it was a hoax. But here we are, pumped about Prince Albert. So I get why it's a fun theory, and why people... And the whole, like, member of the aristocracy... Slipping into Whitechapel to exploit the poor. And I mean, whatever.
1: I could see whatever. where like a royal person be slipping out, and then like, I don't know, their other, they would have the means mm-hmm. money wise, but then like mom or dad or somebody comes up and be like, hey, I know what you're doing. You need to knock it off. Yeah. And that, because like, I feel like there's a certain type of family where like the parents will cover for the children i think the royal
2: family is probably that type
1: of family (laughs) and they'd be like look i know what you're doing they're not real people or some shit like that but like you're causing an uproar people are gonna get angry you need to knock it
2: i know you're having fun so um a little bit about like the legacy of jack the ripper i guess or like some aftermath this actually drew national and international attention to the living conditions in the East End. Um, there was very negative public opinion and action was kind of forced at this place. So the worst of it was actually cleared and even demolished. Like some of it, buildings somewhere were completely torn down and rebuilt. Street names were changed, which is why I said some of the streets go by something else now.
1: Um, what, would that, how is that beneficial?
2: I think just getting rid of some of the stigma, like some of the streets that had reputations as being like the worst ones, so people wouldn't say anymore, hey, let's
1: just change this name so that people don't avoid this road anymore.
2: When I met you, I wouldn't say, hey, I live in Worst Street in London, come visit me. I would say, hey, I live in Fun Street in London, come visit
1: me. But Then you'd get there and be like, this is like the shittiest road. Yeah, don't question it.
2: Um, actual streets and some of the buildings are still there. Like, they didn't just totally wipe out.
1: Yeah, I feel the like
2: East renaming end. it is just putting a band-aid over the problem. Um, you could take guided Jack the Ripper tours, mm-hmm. which we talked about a little bit in the beginning. Um, the depictions of the Ripper, I think, is interesting the way that it changed. So in the immediate aftermath, he actually was like a boogeyman. Mm-hmm. And in drawings and stuff, he was kind of monstrous in the 1920s and 30s. So, you know, leaping ahead to the 1900s. I guess it's not that much of a leap. 1888 was only 12 years before 1900. I don't know why it feels so much longer than that. But um, he started being depicted in film as just an everyday person with a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, by the 1960s, he had become a symbol of the rich preying on the poor. And then we often see him portrayed in film as a gentleman in a top hat with a cape and like the, yeah. the staff. Um, kind of manifested the idea of the upper class. There's actually a word, Ripperology, was coined by Colin Wilson in the 70s to describe the study of the case because it's been so extensive. Um, This, this is fun. You guys will enjoy this. So in 2014, a planning application was put in for a building in the East End, and it said that it wanted to turn this building into a museum of women's history. It would be the first museum of women's history in England. Um, The application had pictures of suffragettes and female protesters, Um, Whitechapel's Women's Library had closed in 2013, and the application mentioned that and said, and here's a quote from their planning application, the museum will recognize and celebrate the women of the East End who have shaped history, telling the story of how they have been instrumental in changing society. It will analyze the social, political, and domestic experience from the Victorian period to the present day. This was approved. We're going to get a museum of women's history. In 2015, they removed the covers that were kind of like surrounding the building and it turns out they made a Jack the Ripper museum instead sneaky yeah lots of protests <laughs> over this the architect said he had been tricked um, he even offered a low fee because he was told this was going to be a museum honoring women so he did it for less than he would have right and he said he wouldn't have done the project if he knew it was a Jack the Ripper museum um, John Biggs who was the mayor of Tower Hamlets, said the planning officer had been misled I agree. That was very misleading. Um, in 2016, the owners asked for retrospective permission to change the shop front. They were
1: denied. I feel like because they're angry at them.
2: Yeah. Like they just totally, and I don't know why I didn't put it in here, but the guy, like the owner of the building was like, we never meant to be misleading. We just decided as we were doing it to change our direction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in 2017, they appealed the secretary of state, but lost. So in 2018, they finally redesigned the front and the building was put up for sale in April of 2021. So there we go. I know that there's, there's a lot more still out there about Jack the Ripper, but
1: maybe, maybe in the future we can revisit with more information.
2: Go back a deeper dive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure.
1: But for now, that's it. For now, that's it.
2: All right. We hope you guys enjoyed.
1: Well, that was Sinister. And we were sarcastic. And we hope you keep listening.
2: Follow our Instagram at Sinister underscore and underscore sarcastic for show updates. And we also post each episode with some photos.
1: We're always looking for new, interesting show ideas. So if you have any folklore, true crime, or mysterious cases for us to cover, please feel free to DM, DM us on instagram we'd love to
0: hear from you if you're enjoying the show and want to purchase some merch to show your support you can find a link on our instagram